new. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day in verse 27. I have the privilege of reading and working through verse 27 down to 36. And so if you will uh, find a Bible and go to Luke 11 verse 27. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And you will find uh, Luke 11 on page 870, about middle way through the left-hand column. Luke 11, verse 27. Hear now the word of the Lord. As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those that hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your body is healthy, or when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part of dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask you that you would please show us mercy and grant us your Holy Spirit. For without your Holy Spirit, we cannot see the light of the truth of who you are and the glory and beauty of your Son. And so, Father, please give us your Holy Spirit now that we may see Jesus and become like him to the glory and praise of God alone. And Pickle Baptist said, Amen. Well, sometimes real science is 
it feels more like science fiction. Scientists say that the, the core of our sun burns at something like 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. And inside the core of the sun, atoms are smashed together in a process called fusion. And when that happens, light molecules burst out of the sun. Lots of them do this. They're called photons. And physicists have tried to calculate just how many photons, how many light molecules are proceeding out of the sun. And they say that there's something like 10 to the 45th power, the number of photons that are bursting out of the sun every second. That's 10 followed by 45 zeros every second. And most of those light molecules never make it to earth. They just shoot out into space. But some do. A lot of them bounce off the earth. A lot of them enter the earth's atmosphere and they get absorbed by the air and by trees and grass and flowers. Some of them land on you. They say that a hundred trillion of them land on your face every second. Now, most of them bounce off, but some of those light molecules get absorbed by your skin caught up in a molecule called melanin, which is why we fair-skinned folk change colors this time of year. The Lord built your eyes to absorb light particles that bounce off other objects. Receptors in your eyes receive these photons, and then your brain interprets color and shape and a chair or your friend's face. This is what we call sight. So what you see, when you see, isn't really the object. What you see are light particles that were shot from the sun 93 million miles away and bounced off that thing and got stuck in your eye. Now here's where real science gets real trippy. All molecules are moving. Jiggling. Light molecules are really jiggly. And when light molecules come into contact with other molecules, they get really excited. And they start to jiggle faster. And they start to bounce into each other. And they start bouncing into each other, and then they get other molecules excited, and they bounce into each other. And everybody's bouncing off of everybody. And this is what we call heat. When some objects get really hot, their photons get so jiggly that they pop out. And the object gives off light. This is why fire gives off light. Light molecules from the sun get so hot that they fly out of an object and they hit other objects which warm those objects as they get jiggly and heat up. So there's your science lesson for the day. But what does this have anything to do with the passage before us? Well, for a long time, Christians have recognized the relationship between light and heat as a metaphor for the Christian life. And this is because seeing and light 
are used by the scriptures to describe God's revelation of himself and the effects thereof. The Lord Jesus uses this metaphor in the passage before us. The sun is pouring out light all the time. And in a similar way, God is revealing the truth about himself all the time. Objects which are closer to the sun receive the most sunlight and are therefore the hottest. But objects that are furthest from the sun are blocked from the sunlight and therefore cold. A similar dynamic is appearing in the passage before us in Jesus' teaching. Those who receive lots of God's light, are, their whole body becomes full of light. But others in their unbelief reject God's light and are cold, so to speak. And so here's the big idea this morning. That the revelation of God through Jesus Christ, when seen through spirit-enabled eyes, creates a desire to keep God's word and to share him with others. When we see who God is in Jesus Christ through spirit-enabled eyes, this creates a desire in us to keep God's word and to share him with others. Three points this morning. The first is in verses 27 to 28 where we will be told to follow the light we see. Follow the light you see. Second part of our passage will tell us to see Jesus Christ. See Jesus Christ or see something better, something greater. That's verses 29 and 32. And finally, shine with the light you see. Verses 33 to 36. So let's have a look at verses 27 to 28 again, where we will be told to follow the light that we see. As Jesus was saying these things, the things that we looked at last week, a woman in the crowd stands up, raises her voice, and she says to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus Christ has been revealing the character and the nature of God throughout the Gospel of Luke. And last week we saw a few reactions, responses to the light that Jesus has been shining. Some people marvel at Jesus, his words and his work. Others see the light and they're skeptical. But still others were so hardened in their heart against Jesus that they accused him of Satanism. Well, here we see a fourth response. And I don't know what to call it exactly. Perhaps we should call it admiration. A woman in the crowd seeing and hearing Jesus saying what he's been saying, doing what he's been doing, raises her voice and she gives blessing to the mother of Jesus. What a blessed mama you must have to have a son like you is true. Jesus' mother, Mary, was blessed to have a son like Jesus. She said so herself. Do you remember from all the way back in chapter 1? She said, 
from now on, all the generations are going to call me blessed. And she was right, and so they have. If ever there was a time for the Lord Jesus to venerate Mary, this would have been it. And what did he do instead? He redirects this woman's admiration. Now, I'm not entirely sure that he's rebuking her as much as he is redirecting her. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Mary is a blessed woman, to be sure. But the blessing of Mary is not due to the fertility of her womb, but the submission of her heart. She was blessed because she heard the word of God and kept it. When the angel came to her and said what God's plan was for her, do you remember what she replied? She said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And this is what makes her blessed. She heard the word of God and she kept it. So the admiration of this unnamed woman is misdirected. The light of the glory of God was radiating through God the Son. So light particles, as it were, of divine revelation were hitting her, and she's thinking about Jesus' mother. And so Jesus redirects her from his physical family to his spiritual family, those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now We've encountered this kind of teaching before in the Gospel of Luke. We call it a beatitude, where the Lord says, blessed are the whatever. Back in chapter 6, we, we saw this and we learned back then that the word blessed in this kind of a context means happy. The kind of happiness and peace that comes from being right with God. We described it back then as the good life. So Jesus is teaching this woman and us that true blessing, the good life, comes to those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus uses the word keep in this context to mean to observe the word of God, to follow the word of God, to obey the word of God. So God's blessing comes to those who hear the word of God, who follow the word of God, who live by the word of God, who build their lives on the word of God. And so this is probably what is meant by the Apostle James when he said, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. So I'll mix the metaphor, if that's okay. To hear the word of God is to stand under the sun rays of God's self-revelation. Light from the core of God himself radiates through Jesus Christ, who the Bible calls the radiance of the glory of God. And this is what's happening when you do what Pastor Brent suggested you do. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. When you're doing this, you're encountering the living Christ in the pages of Scripture. It's like photons of divine light entering your eyes through the Holy Spirit's enabled light receptors in your life. And as you see the glory of God in Christ, you heat up, so to speak. Seeing him creates a desire to be like him and to love him, to pray like him, to rest 
like him, to rejoice like him, to sing like him. The more of him we see, the more we want to see. And the more we want to see, the more we go to him and ask for more that we can see. And the Spirit gives us more. And more light gets shined on us. And more heat builds in us. This is what it means to hear God's word and keep it. And Jesus says, that's the good life. Hear my word and keep it. This woman saw the light of God's self-revelation and she missed it. She saw light particles of God's glory bouncing off of Mary. And that's where she stopped. She should have followed that back up to the sun, to something far greater than Mary. The light of God bouncing off of Mary's life was meant to point to the source of God's light, to Mary's son. And she missed it. And she landed on admiration. But Jesus is worth more than admiration. He's worth our whole lives. But this unnamed woman is not the only one to miss this. Next, we read of an evil generation that saw the light and said to themselves, eh, you got anything else? Let's read verse 29. And following. When the crowds were increasing, Jesus began to say to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment, the men of this generation, and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So the crowds are increasing. Jesus starts calling people evil. I mean, I don't, maybe somebody needs to tell Jesus this, but this is not how you grow a church. Like, you don't talk about sin, Jesus. You talk about wounds. You don't call people to repentance, Jesus. You call them to a, a faith journey. Apparently, Jesus has not read any books on church growth. Well, Jesus doesn't care about 21st century church growth models. Jesus sees the crowd and he tells them what he sees. This is an evil generation. You want a sign from me? You want a song and dance from me? The only sign you're getting is the sign of Jonah. He says, for as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So a little Old Testament history lesson here in the immortal words of Archibald Asparagus from VeggieTales, Jonah was a prophet, but he really never got it. Sad but true. 
Jonah lived in the 8th century BC and God came to him and told him to go to the people of Nineveh and to call out against the people of Nineveh because they were an evil people. Sound familiar? Well, that's about the only similarity. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. The Assyrians were a violent and wicked pagan people. They were the enemies of Israel. And Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Not because he was scared that they would hurt him, but because he was afraid that God would forgive him. He hated the Assyrians. Jonah knew that God was merciful. He knew that if they repented before God, that God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't want them forgiven. He wanted them dead. He's a real sweetheart, Jonah. And so Jonah ran from God. He hopped on a ship going in the opposite direction of Nineveh, which you may know didn't work out super well. God sent a big storm against him, and Jonah got thrown overboard. And a great big fish swallowed him up. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Jonah prayed, and God told the big fish to spit him out. The fish obeyed. Unlike the prophet, the fish obeyed. And then Jonah made it finally to Nineveh. And he walked into the city, and he preached a real nice, real short sermon. In 40 days, God's going to kill you all. Amen. Have a great week. That was literally his, his sermon. And he left the city, and he waited for the fireworks. And the Bible says that Nineveh believed God, and they repented of their sins. They fasted, and they prayed, and they turned from their evil ways. And God showed them mercy. He relented from destroying them. Did this make Jonah happy? Oh no, this made Jonah very unhappy. And he prayed again, this time that God would kill him. Because God had showed mercy to the Ninevites. As I said, real sweetheart. Here's why Jesus brings this up. Because if a wicked, pagan, Gentile city like Nineveh repented after hearing a simple message of judgment from a foreign prophet that hated them and performed no miracles and wished for their death, then how much more should this generation repent when God sent them his only son who loved them and preached grace to them and did many miracles among them? Through Jonah's message of judgment, evil Nineveh saw a sliver of the light of the glory of God and God's displeasure over their sin, and they repented. And through Jesus' life and his ministry and his teaching, this evil generation encountered spectacular light. The radiance of the glory of God himself. And they're standing in front of him and saying, eh. You got anything else, Jesus? Evil. And then Jesus mentions the queen of the south for the same reason. There's another Old Testament lesson in 1 Kings chapter 10. During the reign of King Solomon, a pagan queen, a Gentile, heard about the wisdom of Solomon, the king of Israel. 
And she traveled a great distance, at great expense to herself, in order to hear of this wisdom and to see this king. And when she saw the king and she saw his kingdom and she heard his wisdom, the Bible says that she gave praise to his God. And then Jesus says that this woman will rise up at the final judgment and condemn the people of his generation. She followed a sliver of divine light and she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And Jesus said, something far greater than Solomon is here. Like Solomon was granted wisdom from God, but Jesus is the wisdom of God. Solomon was given a kingdom from God. Jesus brings the very kingdom of God. And a pagan queen, at great expense to herself, followed a dim light to learn of more and gave praise to God. And this generation, who has wisdom personified in their backyard, sees him and they're like, meh. Jesus says on the last day, she'll take up a rebuke against them. A quick side note here, at PBC we believe that the Bible is true, that every word of the Bible is true, retains God's perfect nature because God is perfect. And one of the reasons we believe the Bible is true is because of this passage here. Jesus speaks about Jonah and the people of Nineveh as if they were real people. And Now, there's some folks out there who will say that the story of Jonah in the Old Testament of your Bible is, is a fairy tale meant to teach a lesson, sort of like uh, the way Pinocchio teaches little kids to not lie. Jonah teaches people not to run from God. But Jesus speaks of Jonah as if he were a real person, and he really did get swallowed by a real big fish, and he really did get spit out and sent to a real people in Nineveh who really repented. And if the Lord Jesus understood Jonah to be a fairy tale, then telling people in his day that the people of Nineveh will rise up at that last day and they will condemn you would have meant nothing to them. It would be like me saying to you that on the last day, Luke Skywalker is going to raise up and condemn you. Well, we believe the Bible is true because Jesus believed The Bible was true. Here's the point. God has revealed himself to this generation the same way he did to the people of Nineveh, through Jonah. The same way that he did to the Queen of the South, through Solomon. And the difference between the two is that something far greater was given to them in Jesus' day. The light that they had received was infinitely greater. That he revealed himself to this generation through his son, who is the highest concentration of God's light. And at the judgment, each person will be held responsible for the revelation they've received. 
at the judgment, every person will be held responsible for the revelation they've received. The greater the revelation, the greater the judgment. The Bible teaches that every person, in every time, and in every place, know that there is a God. God has revealed himself to all people at all times and all places. And so at the last day, when every person stands before the Lord, no one's going to say, well, I didn't know. Everyone has seen something of God's light shined upon them. Everyone. Even if some suppress that knowledge. God has revealed himself through creation, through the conscience, through his word, through his son, and through his church. So in a way, light molecules from the center of God have radiated outward throughout time and have landed on every person who has ever lived. Some get more, some get less, but everyone is responsible for the light they receive. So God reveals himself in the majesty of a mountain range, in the sophisticated beauty of a Monarch butterfly. In this, the terror of a spring tornado. In the way of a, a she-bear with her cubs. God is shooting off his light. Every person has a conscience. The law of God being written on the heart. Accusing or excusing each person of what they do. This is God's light shining on every person, pointing back to a lawgiver. If I have a law, there must be a lawgiver. Every man, woman, and child is born with an innate sense of justice. Try and take something away from a kid, see what happens. They want justice. And this sense of justice comes because they were created by a justice lover. Because God is just. The highest form of God's self-revelation is Jesus Christ. God the Son who took on flesh and revealed the very character and nature of God to humans. And this generation, Jesus' generation, has received the highest concentration of light molecules up to that point. Something greater is here, is what he's saying. And they rejected him. And so if you're here and you're with us today and you're not a Christian, this is something you need to know. That God has revealed himself to you today through the pages of this Bible, through the prayers you've heard prayed, through the songs you've heard sung, And you have to do something with that. You've heard the word of God. 
I know you must keep it. Friend, do not be like this evil generation and leave this place and go, meh. You got anything else? Pray, friend, pray to the Lord to open your eyes and to see the reality of the living Christ in this book. Repent of your sins. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and you'll be saved from the judgment of God, from the very condemnation that Jesus mentions awaits that evil generation. So after the service is over today, friend, please find someone who's a Christian. Tell them you would like to repent of your sins and be saved. We turn now to the very last section of our passage this morning. Verses 33 to 36 tell us, okay, so now that we've received this light, now what do we do? What should we do with this light? This divine revelation. So we'll pick up reading verse 33. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it on a, in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So Jesus starts off by saying that no one lights a lamp and puts it in a cellar. And the reason, of course, is because, well, no one's down there. No one turns on a light in an empty room. Unless you're a kid. <laughs> Unless you're my kids. It's like your favorite thing. What is the purpose of a lamp? It is to shine light so that people can see. And that's why you don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Because it defeats the purpose of the light. Now, I know this is a bit confusing of section of Jesus' teaching. But it seems that what Jesus is saying is that he is the light. He's the infinite lumens of the brightness of the glory of God. And in Jesus Christ, God has placed himself on a stand, as it were, so that all who enter may see him and see his beauty. Some see that beauty, and their lives are transformed forever. Others see that beauty, and they refuse to recognize it, and they remain in the dark. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body, Jesus says. When your eye is healthy, some of your translations may say clear or good. Your body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. What Jesus is teaching is that there's plenty of light. If people won't see the light, it's not because there's a problem with the light. It's a problem with the sight. And how much they see depends on the health of their eyes. Your eyes are the entrance point for the light. 
So light photons literally enter your body through your eyes. How we see is because of our eyes. It's how we see the world around us. It's how we get along. And the same thing is true of our spiritual life. Like the sun, God is radiating light, revealing himself. And those who have healthy eyes, they see that light. And the effect of this is that their whole body becomes full of light. When a sinner's eyes are open and they see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, their whole life is changed. And, and seeing this light changes the way they see literally everything else. It changes knowing the light of God changes the way you see yourself and the way you see others. It changes the way you see suffering and blessing. It changes the way you see work and food and sex and poetry and music and rest. Seeing Christ changes everything. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You noticed when Pastor Steve opened the service, the psalm read, in your light, we do see light. But of course, some don't see. If the eye is bad, Jesus says, can't see the glory of God in Christ. The whole body is full of darkness. And this person will spend their days stumbling through life without hope, without security, without direction. And, and the Apostle Paul describes this kind of person, the person with bad eyes in Romans 1, when he says, for although they knew God, remember everybody gets revelation of who God is, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now we need to heed the master's warning at verse 35. To be careful with the light we have received lest it become darkness. God has revealed himself to all of us, and we must do something with this light. And this generation whom Jesus speaks, they saw the light, they rejected the light, and Jesus says, they're all dark. And may the Lord spare anyone here that same folly. The final point that Jesus makes in this passage is in verse 36, where he tells those of us who have received the light, to shine the light, to reflect the light that God has given. If we see the light of this glorious Christ, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And those of us with eyes to have seen the Lord of glory with all his bright and beautiful splendor, we now have been given the privilege to shine that same light to all who may see. The light of God produces heat. The more we see, 
the more the affections of our heart are warmed by what we see. More light, more heat. More love of God. More we hear the word of God and see the glory of Christ, the more our lives burst into flame in the love for God, which supersedes all other affections, and we shine. We keep the word. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Not out of a, a, a cold, dead sense of duty or out of a sense of reparation for sins committed, but out of white, hot, joy-filled love of God that is driven by real-life encounters with the risen Christ. Light produces heat. Enough heat, and the object begins to radiate heat. Light molecules heat up and spring up, spring out, and collide with others, causing them to heat up. I mean, how did Jesus put it on the Sermon of the Mount? Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have a word for this. It's called discipleship. This is what you're doing when you are discipling others. You're spreading the infectious light of God through your enjoyment of Him. It's like heated up light particles called joy are springing out of your life, radiating out of your life, heating others, exciting them. When they see what you see, they radiate light too to others, and on and on and on. And you get enough of people like this together, bouncing off of each other, radiating God's love, we call it a church. And that church gets so jiggly that they start popping out of the church and going and starting new churches to the ends of the earth, telling more people about the beauty that they see in Jesus. And this is what Jesus calls the good life. To hear the word of God, to see the Son of God, and to become the people of God who tell everyone all about the Son of God. And so this week, follow the light of God that you've received from his word up to his Son. Rejoice in him and shine with the light that you see. Let's pray. Father, it is in your light that we do see light. This morning, you've revealed yourself to us through your Son in your Word. And we're so thankful for you doing this. We're grateful that you would show such kindness to us. And we confess, Lord, that we've not always thought about your Word in this way. Many times, Lord, we've looked at this as a cold list of do's and don'ts. Treating the Bible as if it were some kind of chore and not a real-life encounter with the living Christ. Please forgive us. Lord, we confess to coldness and the affections of our heart toward your Son. Will you please warm the affections of our heart by the fire of divine revelation? 
Reveal Jesus to us. Let us see him anew this morning. Holy Spirit, please give us eyes to see Jesus this week. And seeing him, let us become like him. And may we radiate the heat and the light that we have received through our delighting in him, through our joy in Jesus, through happiness in God, through the God-wrought good works in our lives, through the satisfied joy that you've given us. May we radiate and let others see and give glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. At the end of our services, we go to God's word and we ask him to give us an assurance that when we've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, he's assuring us of his forgiveness. Our assurance of pardon this week comes from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, where we read, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Brothers, will you lead us in one final song?